Hello and welcome to Fans, the podcast hosted by me, Sachin Akrani, in which I speak to people I like, find interesting, or both, about being football fans. And joining me for this episode to talk all things Swindon Town is sports writer, funny man on Twitter, and Swindon's third most famous supporter, it's Declan Taylor. Declan, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. What I do need to ask, am I, am I funny, interesting, or both? Or do, I, do you like me? Which am I? Am I, I, the... I like you, I love you, in fact. I absolutely adore you. <laughs> you're you're my, my favourite Declan, who's also a boxing journalist. And it is quite a tight contest, well, as you well know. You know yeah, they're actually, that's, I'm, that, I'm glad you said that. That's a very important, uh, very important league that I'm top of. So thanks for that. Good start. The, the two-man league, you should say. The other... The other boxing journalist called Declan is Declan Warrington, and you two have, a, as, I've, a boo, as I've witnessed firsthand, you two have a, a very funny love-hate relationship. <laughs> you seem to bully him. Is that is that fair to say? Um, I don't know. I think he bullies me, really, but I just <laughs> I just do it more overtly. He does it very sort of connivingly. Very good, yeah. Worst yeah. type. Yeah, no, so I do. We were on a, well, we were in a press trip to Austria, weren't we, what, four years ago before... Um, Klitschko fought Joshua yes. and we went out to his training camp and uh, it's the first time I've sort of properly got to know you and I, I think I've seen De- Declan Warrington a few times before and uh, football and stuff but observing you two in the wild was was a thrill. Uh, the, he's ban- a big, the banter was endless. He's a big Charlton fan as well he I is, think yeah. I'm right in saying so he's another one who's got a, a you know a mad uh, club to support so I you know there are a lot of parallels we're very much sort of two sides of the same coin I guess. Very much so, yeah. I should try and get Declan on to talk about Charlton at some stage. I will do. If he's listening to this, Declan Warrington, you're welcome to come on this podcast whenever you number want to talk. Two. Number two, the second, the second best Declan who writes about <laughs> boxing in this country. Um, and also, speaking about rankings, how do you feel about being Swindon's third most famous fan? I'm putting you behind David Squires and Ivo Graham. Is that fair? Or do you, do you Ooh, feel you should be above either of them or both? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leapfrog either of those. I'm happy that I've, that I've beaten Jamie Cullen. Melinda Messenger as well. Oh, Melinda Messenger, I forgot about that. So I'm happy. I'm trying to think who else we got. Um, Mark Lamar, I think, is from Swindon, but I, I'm pretty sure he's never been to the county ground. Jamie Cullen used to come quite a lot, as far as I can remember. Who's Jamie Cullen? Um, you know the pianist, sort of musician. Oh, of course, yeah, the guy with the sort of like, yeah, sort of curly mop. Well, yeah, you say that. I, I don't know what his hair's like now, but yeah, he used to have a proper head of hair. But um, yeah, not, uh, and then I'm trying to think who else we got. It's pretty, it's it's not a strong fit. Ivo and David Squires, I'm happy to drop in behind either of those two. Yeah, I don't know I'll who's play, the play number one. Yeah, those, I mean, they're two big hitters, aren't they? I mean, I think Ivo's been top for a while, but David Squires, he's come from the, sort of come from behind to really take over the last few Ivo, years. Ivo, though, I've got to say with Ivo, he's um he's a country boy, really. He's not from the town. You know, you drop, you drop him in Eldine or Knives, <laughs> he wouldn't know what he was doing. Not a chance. He's all right when he's swanning around in Marlborough or whatever, taking in the sights, having a coffee. But honestly, <laughs> nitty gritty, you, you send him to Park South, he wouldn't come out alive. He definitely wouldn't know how to get to the county ground from there. So, yes, he's a Swindon fan. He's a mate of mine as well. He's a Swindon fan. But is he a Swindon, Swindon fan? I don't know. You'd have to is ask. He him. Is he a town fan? Is he a townie? Is he a townie? No, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about there, but we will get into Swindon, <laughs> the geography of Swindon, because I'm, I'm intrigued by it as a place as well. we'll it's do very that. important. It's very important to the whole makeup of the, of the club as well. Exactly. I can imagine. I can absolutely imagine. Well, well, we'll get into all things Swindon very shortly. Before we do that, um, I've touched on this already. You are a sports writer and is it fair to say your specialism is boxing? Um, you cover a, whole, a lot of boxing. You also do football as well. Uh, which I sort of do, but uh, I'm not in your league at all when it comes to boxing. But I, I've dipped, I dipped my toes in a few times, and I'm actually going to be dipping my toes in again this Saturday. I'll be at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for the big one: Anthony Joshua versus 
uh, Alexander Usyk, which uh, will you be there as well? I'll be there. I'll be yeah. there. Yeah, big big fight. My first. I'm kind of my first fight. I think that's my first fight in about three years. So very rusty, but. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And, and the thing with boxing and football, I want to get your thoughts on this, is um, they're very different sports to cover, I found in my time covering sport for The Guardian. Football caters very well for journalists. You've got a lovely press room at most grounds and then, you know, you get fed. You then go sit in a press box and it's all quite comfortable and you, the Wi-Fi signal is always pretty good. And then there's press conferences straight after. It's all lovely. Boxing, I've always found to be unbelievably wild. Um it's amazing. You get to sit ringside most fights. It's incredible, but it just doesn't really cater for journalists. You're kind of thrown in at it. Um, I've, the amount of fights I've been at, I can't get signal. There's no food, which being a bit of a diva is a big thing for me. You're sharing toilets with the public, which is another big thing for me. I don't like sharing toilets with the public. I need to be in and out so I can get back to my seat as quickly as possible. And I've had some wild stuff happen to me covering boxing. I think probably the two standout things was my first ever fight that I covered was a Nathan Cleverly fight in Cardiff in February 2012 went for a piss just before the fight started and found a load of lads taking cocaine in the bogs, which was <laughs> which is quite the sight. Yeah. And then later that year, 2012, covered Chisora Hay, David Hay, Derek Chisora. That was amazing. At Upton Park, yeah. An incredible fight, summer of 2012. But I had someone throw a, a lager, a pint of lager over my laptop just as I was about to file, and I thought I'd lost my entire copy, which was a mad moment I, of panic. I think I was close to you. I think I was close to you that <laughs> night because I remember that. I've never been soaked like that by beer yeah. and stuff. I mean, it was absolutely hammering down anyway, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, that was something. There was something in the air that night. It was a bit of a mad one, but um, yeah, that was. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely wild. I said, yeah, I mean, we were just where we were sat, we were by ringside just behind us were the fans. And this guy was, I think, hey, one, didn't he? And he was kind of yeah. wildly celebrating and he sort of launched his beer in the, in the air and it fell completely on my laptop. I think a few laptops nearby. I hadn't even filed my report yet. So I thought, I'm fucked. Well, that's fucked. <laughs> Fortunately, the laptop held out and was able to file. But yeah, I just want to sort of ask you, obviously, you do boxing, you do, you do football. Mm. Um, you've been doing boxing for a long time. You cover a lot of fights. I mean, do you get used to the wild nature of it? Do you quite enjoy the thrill of how sort of um, rough and red in DIY is to cover boxing? I don't know. I, certainly not on fight night. So the stuff you alluded to there about, you know, there's never a press room. There's never anything. And there's no, the Wi-Fi is dodgy. Problem is these places have good Wi-Fi and they get set up with Wi-Fi when it's empty. And then when you get 20,000 people at the O2 or whatever, the Wi-Fi just doesn't work. Or if it does, it's terrible. Um, but I think I like to look at it the other way around. So football is very like nice. Like you say, it's all on a plate and very handy for journalists. But I think it's very Groundhog day Covering football, very groundhog day. Um, you know, you get pretty much pressed. Uh, you see the same people. You do the same same sort of quotes. Then you get you go to the match, do the match. You have a post match where it's basically the same week all the time. Yeah, and the access is poor, and the only access you do get is usually, you know, for the most part, with only exceptions, it's pretty quiet and it's pretty dull actually. Because these people need know that they can't afford to say anything wrong or whatever it might be, or you know, they, there's no reason for them to open up in any way, really, to journalists. So you have to, you know, it's not often you get really good stuff from from covering football. It's an exception when you do, and then in boxing, it's the other way around. Whereas these people obviously have to sell tickets; they have to be a brand. They, that's exactly the nature of the sport. So you just get far better content, I, fi mm. I, I find. But you're right; what you do, what comes with that, is just total mess although saying that pre-fight presses or launch presses and stuff like that are a lot you know when they're announcing a fight are a lot better you do get a cup of tea you do it's in a room and you do get wi-fi usually at a hotel or whatever yeah, yeah. 
they're decent. But I remember my the first fight I got paid to cover was the it was actually supposed to be Nathan Cleverly top of the bill. I think he was actually, but uh, that was the nominal main event because it was the same night as James Agel against George Groves, which became this huge, um, obviously this behemoth of a British domestic fight. And I remember turning up there at the O2 and it was my first fight that I'd been paid to cover while I was working at Haters. And that was in 2000, whatever it was, 2010 or something. I can't remember. Um, and I, sp- I, sp- I sort of sidled up to Richard Maynard, the fr- who was Frank Warren's press guy at the time. He's a freelance PR guy now. And sort of said, where's, you know, where's the press room? Where can I put my stuff? Or like, is there food? Or like, is there a cup of tea or whatever? And he basically laughed at me. He couldn't quite believe it. You know, it's like, no, there's nothing here, mate. You're sat here now. The amazing thing about covering boxes as well, they usually take like, even if you have a bottle of water going into the arena or whatever, they take it off you. You can't, it's just mad really. And you sit there, I've had fans around me, you know, you've often had, they've sold the front row of press seats because obviously they're worth five grand each or whatever. So why would they put the press there? So you've got people stood up in front of you. It's never a good um, situation at ringside or, you know, as a journalist, but I wouldn't say I enjoy that, but it's just part of the, part of the charm of it, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, at the end of it, it's two blokes fighting in their pants, isn't it? Like, there's no, you can't really, you can't dress it up as anything else. So, like, really, what the, that's how, whenever I you try engage everything else that goes around in boxing, that, that's it. There's two men fighting in the middle of it. Like, you, you can't expect too much around that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, that's a really good point you make. Pre-match stuff around boxing is fantastic. You're guaranteed to get good content, good yeah. lines, great access as well. Because as you said, they're trying to they're trying to sell a product. Fight night itself is yeah, it's kind of up and down really. Up until the, they start hitting each other, I find it really like I'd rather be anywhere else. As you say, all your food if you try and take food in, as you say, it gets taken away from you. Going to the toilets is a hassle. People around you making all sorts of racket and putting you off your work. But once it starts, I mean, it is absolutely thrilling to be that close to a fight. And I've said, I mean, I've been covering sport for about 14 years at The Guardian. My absolute highlight of all sports I've covered was Frotch Groves, uh, the first fight in Manchester in 2013. It was an unbelievably great night. Tops any sort of football I've covered and stuff. Um, so yeah, so actually, sorry, we should put a bit of context. So we're recording on Tuesday, the 21st of September, as I mentioned earlier, Joshua Usek this weekend, the 25th, isn't it, on Saturday. So by the time this comes out, everyone will know what's happened in that fight. So yeah, uh, we are recording beforehand. So therefore, unless we can look into the future, I have no idea. Yeah, well, I'd just like to wish Joshua the best of luck with trying to get his belts back from Usyk. That was a, a devastating and surprising knockout. In the <laughs> Is that how you see it? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not making a prediction, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Right, let's move away from boxing and let's talk about Swindon Town. And actually, before we do, just really quickly... Um, if anyone's wondering my voice, why my voice sounds a bit different, and I think it does sound different, I've got a bit of a cold, a bit of a sore throat. Um, we were saying before, I, I sound incredibly sexy, so I'm loving my voice at the moment, but I'm also coughing and spluttering a bit. It's that so. sort of COVID chic. It's very, yeah, it's it's very on vogue. I'm hoping it's not COVID. I don't think it is because I haven't got any other symptoms, but yeah, I've got a bit of a sore throat. Not ideal for when you're recording a podcast, but if anyone hears me coughing and spluttering, that's why. I'll try my best to, to stay on mute when I'm not talking. Right, let's get on to Swindon. Um... Yeah, so a club that's gone through a hell of a lot and we'll, we'll try and talk through most of it as, as we get through this podcast. And in that sense, I think actually before we go back and talk about why you support Swindon and, and your memories of supporting them, we should start in the present day really and in the, well, I should say the present few months, the last few months, because it's been a very eventful, stressful time for, for the club and all its supporters. So I'll sort of just go through the basic stuff about it and then you, you fill in the gaps if I've left any out and tell me about your sort of emotions through it. Um, what's happened basically this summer into the new season. So there was a bit of an ownership battle between Lee Power, who'd owned Swindon since December 2013, 
and the minority shareholder Clem Morfuni, an Australian businessman who wanted to take over the club. And he was claiming he was being prevented from doing so by power, despite having first refusal on all shares. Meanwhile, Swindon, and not for the first time in the history, were in deep financial trouble. Players and staff were not getting paid, which led to the club being put under a transfer embargo. And the council had not been paid rent on the county ground, their stadium, for over a year. And there were real fears that unless a, um, unless a transition of power took place between power and Morfuni, Swindon could do a bury and go bust. The, the EFL described the situation as very concerning. And hence, that's why the Swindon Town Supports Trust threw its weight behind Morfuni. Uh, the row ended up in the High Court and thankfully for Swindon, it resulted in Morfuni completing a takeover in July. He immediately appointed Ben Garner as head coach and Ben Chorley as director of football. And as of speaking, Swindon sit 10th in League Two, having won three, drawn three and lost two off their opening eight games of the season. So, um, yeah, just how eventful and stressful was the summer? And as far as you're aware, Declan, how close did the clubs actually come to going bust? I don't know. And do you know what? It's funny asking any Swindon fan. It was very obviously a very stressful time. But, like, we're so used to this as Swindon fans. Like, administration and all that sort of stuff. You just put Sw- administration Swindon Town into Google. It's ridiculous. Like, we're always sort of in a crisis. And we never quite get wound up. So you sort of... You sort of go, ah, yeah, I mean, all this will, will blow over. And it did, actually. It did blow over. Because it's one of those things where, I don't know, eventually it felt like brinkmanship the whole way around. I don't know exactly why. I don't know the ins and outs. Also, wouldn't want to sort of open myself up legally to what this sort of stuff. I don't really know the exact ins and outs of it. All it was, in terms of from a fan's point of view, Lee Power had, you know, had basically had enough of the club and he, he wasn't working within the sort of as far as fans were concerned, the best interests of it. And now, Clem Morfuni has sort of come in as this messiah type. And I, again, I'm a bit cynical about it. It's like, great, yeah, he's coming, he's meeting the fans and he's saying the right things. It's like, that's amazing. And it was sort of felt like we'll take anything at this point. Um, so I hope he's as good as it sounds and looks on the outside. He seems to make a lot of money in Australia. I'm slightly bewildered that there's this guy who sort of is introduced, as far as I can tell, he's sort of introduced to Swindon by a friend of his and sort of became a fan and then became an investor and then now owns the club. And it's kind of like, how the how has that happened? Like, I don't know what the reasons for it is. If it's all positive and great, lovely. But again, you get it sort of, you get the any positivity beaten out of you pretty quickly as a Swindon fan. Um, but for the most part, right now, I'm feeling very positive about Swindon. If we, I think at one point on Saturday, we, we drew one all at Northampton which, you know, championship form, draw your away games, win your home games. We haven't won all home games yet, but, you know, take a draw at Northampton. But when we were leading in that game, I think we were up to fourth or something like that. So I think, you know, we've seen, we've got a good squad now, considering we had about three players at one point, literally, and no manager and no nothing. So it's, it's all good at the moment. But yeah, I've seen it all before. I've seen this happen and I've been positive before and it, it never really gets you very far. So yeah. It, I mean, we're a lot better off than we were in the summer and it did look bad. It did look real bad. But fingers crossed, we're in the new, we're certainly in the new era and this is just positive and there's only one way that we're going to go, literally. Well, to be fair, actually, we could have gone down again. I was looking, we were something like eight to one to go down at one point. It looked like the best bet ever because we had two players. But yeah, I think we should be all right this year, hopefully. 
You've got more celebrity fans and players at one stage. Literally, we should. Yeah. I think Ivo was. I think he got his boots out. <laughs> do a shift at the right back. Yeah, Squires was booking his flight from Australia to come and help <laughs> yeah. out as well. Um, yeah, I was going to come on to this later actually as part of sort of wrap up, but let's talk about it now because you did mention this. I mean, doing my research on Swindon, I, you know, saying to saying this to you before we start recording, I didn't. I had no real clue of just how absolutely chaotic it's been at the club since, and we'll talk about this as well, that one season they had in the Premier League in the mid-90s. So since that season, you got rele- you came to the Premier League in 93, 94, got relegated immediately. And basically since then, it's just been complete chaos. I mean, off the pitch, you've twice been placed into administration, twice fought off winding up orders over unpaid tax. And that's on top of what's just happened this summer. Yeah. Uh, on the pitch, there's just been regular promotions and relegations between essentially the third and fourth tier. So what's now known as League One and League Two. You've never spent more than five seasons in the same division since 1994. And in that time, you've had 12 different managers with Ben Garner, the 12th. Um, I think you know, he said it's either off air or on air. I mean, do you just get used to it after a while? Do you kind of almost embrace Honestly. it? Do you just laugh it off? Is it gallus humour after a while? Yeah, I think so. And especially for me, because I only kept, we'll speak about this in a bit, but I only really started supporting the club on what am I 34 now started supporting the club when I was sort of sort of te- early early teenager really so all I've known is this but even before you mentioned it you know it started from the Premier League but actually in 1989-90 I believe it was when we won the playoffs when we beat Sunderland 1-0 at Wembley to go up to be promoted to what was the old first division we got demoted because of financial um, some financial problems with someone taking back payments when Ozzy Ardiles was the manager. So then we got demoted again. So we should have been in the top flight then. Mm. And then we got, I remember there was a big campaign. I wasn't there. I was three at the time, but there was a campaign of first, not third across the town. And, you know, people talk about it still now. We almost got put in the third division. We should have been the first. Anyway, got in the second and then rebuilt again. And then that was the basis or the, you know, the prelude to that season when we went up into the Premier League. So it's just, it's kind of been nonstop. And I don't know what it is. And I, I don't know if it's just bad luck or there's something, something else at play or it, whether it's one of those things where you get into a cycle as a club and you just never quite shake it off no matter who the manager is, no matter who the owners are. You're constantly in this turmoil. problem we've had for a long time is we don't own the ground. So there's not that opportunity to make money or bit rebuild or you know, get that non-match day revenue, just impossible to generate. So there's always, and we're always, especially since, I don't know, we, we dropped out of the Premier League, certainly. Always on the cusp with the, the sort of break-even fan numbers. We never, we haven't ever got, we, we never have that many in. So we're literally always on the brink. But we're like a lot of other clubs. But yeah, my time supporting the club, seriously, has been administration, administration, relegation, a couple of years of good, you know, good football, which is obviously great. Um, and sometimes I just look at other clubs and I hear fans and I know a lot of fans will say this but I look, I hear fans like some of my mates who support Premier League clubs Tottenham and things like that and they moan about the situation I'm like mate you've got genuinely no idea like imagine just try and support Swindon for five years any five years spell of the last four decades and you have a mental breakdown and then you just have to let it wash over you really in the end yeah I'm always curious how Sporting the football club sort of shapes someone's personality. I think sort of Everton fans, for, for instance, I, I, I think they, you could take the most optimistic human being in the world. If they become an Everton fan, they'll eventually be, be a pessimist. I just feel that. And I, do you think sort of Swindon shaped your personality in a way? 100%. And I think that, I think Swindon as a, as a place is a bit like that as well for a lot of people. Um, it's very 
deeply mediocre at best. Um, and I think, do you know what? It's funny because I was considering this a lot during the summer when England obviously nearly won, you know, nearly won the whole thing. And you, I sort of felt like, I don't know if as a country we're ready for that yet. That <laughs> as a people, we are pessimistic and we're expecting to lose and we're expecting to fail eventually. And actually, if we can succeed at that point, I don't know if we were ready as a, as a, a sort of group of people, as a species in England, to ready for that sort of success. And I feel like Swindon's like, and I feel that Swindon's done that for me. I don't know what I would do. I don't feel like I was mentally prepared for England to win that tournament. And I think it's because I've had no preparation as a Swindon fan for any real success at any point. Certainly not for any length of time. You know, as soon as we seem to have any success go up once, everything falls apart. Um, and this is, this is me who's had, you know, been supporting for 20 years or whatever. Um, it's been pretty painful. And yeah, I reckon when that becomes a large part of your life, particularly as it was for me as a teenager, I think it definitely has to have had some knock-on effect on my overall view of, of the human race. And that's actually quite depressing to think about it, but I guarantee it has. And if anyone who's ever been to the county ground, it has to be one of the bleakest places <laughs> on, the, on the earth. But it's not, not bleak because it's awful, because yeah. it's actually okay. It's yeah. kind of just your most bog standard, mediocre ground in the, in the history of football. And it's sort of like, uh, we're here again. And I think a lot of Swindon fans will feel like that. And I do think that spending a lot of time there will have shaped me, my time away from that place. Um, but I would never change it. I wouldn't change a second of it. Yeah. So you think being a Swindon fan is about any sort of naturally cynical and pessimistic? One million percent. I, don't, I think anyone who hasn't, I want to speak to him <laughs> how it has. Right, let's talk about Swindon and as a, as a play. So it's, it's one of those, I mean, I've travelled around the country a lot as a football fan and as a journalist and just as a human being, but Swindon's one of those places I don't have a great concept of. So we should say to people who, who may be listening from overseas, it's a town in the county of Wiltshire. Um, I think I've been there a couple of times, about 10 or 15 years ago, because I had a friend who used to live there and I went to visit him. And um, I think he lived in quite a rural part of Swindon um it felt it feels like one of those places you could quite easily see a cow crossing the road um <laughs> so, what, yeah and obviously the other place the other sort of aspect that shaped my my take on Swindon is this country which is obviously the absolutely yeah. sublime sitcom which as you say takes uh, well as you sort of reference reflects Swindon in a in a slightly bleak maybe and, and depressing and quite a simple way I a simple way I guess uh, what is it like as a place to grow up in? Um, you were sort of talking about the divide between town and county when you were taking a piss out of Ivo Graham before. Yeah. Is, it, is it split between sort of rural and, and then sort of more, more sort of urban? Do you know what, what it is? My, my family in particular, and I'm, I'm probably, I'm not alone, but basically it's sort of everywhere but nowhere really. Swindon, it's, you know, an hour and a half or whatever down the M4 from London. It has an hour train connection. So for the most part, it became like a commuter town really. So it's kind of split really between that sort of aspect. But then also there are old dyed in the wool Swindon people. You know, it mm. was, you know, it was a, a market town. Swindon means pig hill. You know, it was a, a hill with pigs on it. It was, you know, it was a rural place that stuff happened, but really it's become a kind of, you know, it's a roundabout in the a roundabout in the kind of middle of nowhere. So it's a weird divide of people. And certainly in the, in the, in the sort of fan base as well, of people who are proper Swindon people 
and people like me who are, you know, are, my family moved to Swindon when I was three or four because of job opportunities. My dad worked in London. It was a good commute for him. And there's a lot of that. I, th- I would say, though, that there's probably, it's not, Swindon's not alone in having that sort of thing, you know, especially anywhere on the sort of commuter yeah. belt or the wind, wider sort of area. And I do think it shapes the place. In terms of the fan base, though, a lot of people do also then come from, like, in my sort of group of mates that went regularly, there'd be people from Hungerford, Didcot, you know, I feel like sound like David Brennan. I was about to say that, yeah, that's <laughs> Winnish. Yeah, Winnish. <laughs> but that's it. That's the Swindon support. And, and I always loved that. I always thought that was great. I used to love that, that people would come from Yately, come to Swindon games, you know. Yeah. Um, and I lived in Old Town. I could walk there in 15 minutes or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird old place. Uh, not, you know, not an awful lot going for it. It's obviously a town. I think it's something like the second biggest town in Europe or something. I don't know. You know, it's one of these places that really should be a city if anyone sort of got their act together. Going back there now, I, I live in London now, but going back there regularly, like my mum lives there and stuff, you know, it's kind of a, it feels like, it feels like it's sort of happened, if you know what I mean. Um, when I was growing up, there was always a lot of talk about regeneration and everything else. And the club was supposed to be at the heart of that. And it hasn't really happened yet. The Oasis, the famous Oasis, which is the big, a big leisure centre there, which is a rite of passage for anyone in Swindon, but also people from Cheltenham and all around the, the, the area would come to the Oasis, this big dome sw- uh, swimming pool with big slides and stuff. Famously, where Oasis got their name from as well. That's confirmed. Really? I've yeah, never heard that. I'm a huge Oasis fan. Yeah, that's well, they got a name our, from a leisure centre in Swindon. Here you go. So this is the truth. This is what happened. So as you all know, that Noel was a roadie for the Inspiral Carpets. Yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a, a, a poster on his wall. And I don't know if it was an Inspiral par- Carpets poster or somewhere. And one of the stops on the tour was the Oasis in Swindon. So he's, had this, he's got this poster on his wall and he's like, Oasis, that's, that's a cool name. That's a, cool, that's a cool word because they were called the fool first right yeah word, something word. like that they had, they had other name for quite a while but they weren't yeah. and so he saw it. this word on the thing and it was oh and it and the reason it was on that poster is because it was a, a spot a stop on this tour on the tour uh, on this poster yeah. that he had so that anyway that closed down during lockdown so it was one of the final pieces you know old swindon something that's got going for it and it's gone and there's all sorts of petitions to get it back and stuff Anyway, sort of off piece there, but the fact, the point is, is that it's a place that is, hasn't got a lot going for it. And the club has kind of reflected that mainly, you know, over, with very small exceptions, but that's basically been the vibe for the, for the football club mm-hmm. as well, much to the chagrin of people like me and the fans. So how, how, how central is, is the football club to, to the town. I mean, you know, you hear about some places go, oh, it's just absolutely fundamental to life in that area. You know, it's a community club. It's where people come on a Saturday having worked Monday to Friday. Is there a sense that Swindon is very important to people? Swindon town is very important to people who live in Swindon. It's such a hard question to answer because I remember when I was going regularly and I don't go regularly anymore because, you know, work and whatever logistically. But when I was going regularly, often our average attendance would be like 4,000, 4,500 or whatever, which is obviously pitiful for a town that big. And the ground is right in the middle of the town. Like it's on the magic roundabout. If anyone's not, don't know what the magic roundabout is, go and have a look at it. It's mental. It's sort of one big roundabout with six round it. And you end up going backwards and it's a crazy thing. And you have to do it on your test. If you, when you live in Swindon, it's ridiculous. Anyway, it's right there. It's not like it's out in, out on an industrial state mm. somewhere. It's there. And I always, it used to really annoy me. I used to get quite 
angry about the fact that we couldn't get that many people to come. Like, as in, most for the most part, people in Swindon don't care about the town, about the club. That's how I always felt. But now, looking at it slightly, slightly from a distance, I do think it is central to the town, but not like, not like New like Newcastle yeah. United seems to be like. You know, that was always where I think, but it's it's not quite like that. But then I wonder whether it would be if we were in the Premier if we were in the Premier League for a, you know for a number of years. I feel like that's what it needs. It needs some success and then it would become that. And now it's sort of, it's sort of very low on the priorities for people. Um, but that said, it's a very loyal, very loyal fan base, just not a particularly big one. Um, always travel well in numbers. The, honestly, the amount of stuff that they have to put up, like we sort of mentioned that we've had to put up with over the years and the, the loyalty of the, the fans is ridiculous. But I mean, it goes for a lot of clubs, but... I don't know. It's a tough question to answer that. I'd like to say, yeah, I think it's very central to the town, but I'm not sure. And like I say, a lot of the fans come from outside the yeah. town. And like in this country, I believe they're from, the, um, the Coopers are from like Sirencester, which is another small town on the outskirts of Swindon. Um, I believe they're from Sirencester and that sort of place, classic Swindon fan. And it feels like they are more connected to the club or the town than the people who actually live there. But then I don't know whether that's just because a lot of people who live there are commuters as well, you know, non-Swindon people. So it's a bizarre sort of mixture of mixture of the two. But um, I've always been interested to think if we had some some sustained sustained success, what might happen to the that relationship between townsfolk and the club? Yeah. Well, you're talking about um, Charlie Cooper and Daisy May Cooper, obviously the two stars of this country. I mean, Charlie's a Fulham fan as well, isn't he? So he's exactly. not even he's not even a Swindon fan. Yeah, I think the other. And I think the other interesting aspect um, of the sort of, I guess, the sort of nature of people living in Sweden sports, when you touch on this before with your dad is, you know, it's a commuter town. So there's probably a lot of people who live there who, as they don't have a real affiliation to Sweden, live there for work, but maybe support Arsenal or Spurs or West Ham or whatever. And so I guess that's quite hard to build, build that connection with the, with, with Swindon as well. Um, right. Let's go back. To, let's go back to the very start of your time sporting Swindon and your first game, which you yep. were kind enough to give me the details for. So it took place on the 28th of July, 1996. It was Swindon versus Chelsea in Kevin uh, Morris's benevolent match. Uh, and you explained to me that Kevin was a Swindon physio uh, who committed suicide in 1994. Uh, so the game was a fundraiser for his family and you think it finished 2-0 to Chelsea. And your biggest memory of the game was that you were uh, you were sat near Gianluca Vialli, who just signed for Chelsea. So that I mean that's that's a pretty glamorous introduction to life as a football fan, isn't it? Yeah, I remember. So so this is what so I mentioned to you before we started that just looking back at that um, time, I was sort of it struck me just looking at the dates that I remember Euro '96 was massive for me as a football fan. Like it was a real the first. Obviously, we weren't at '94. England weren't at '94. And it was it was big for me as a as a kid. I was what eight. I was eight years old, and I remember also that year. I believe it was Juventus against Ajax in the Champions League final or the European Cup final. It was. You're right. Yeah, yeah. They and, beat. Um, yeah, that's right. They beat Ajax, Ajax to win yeah. their first European Cup since 1985 or something. It was a big and I remember, Juve, like, yeah. as a kid, as a kid, those two Juventus and Ajax, I like, just sounded magnificent. The two of them and. Juventus, I believe that was the Ravinelli and Viali up front, as far as I can remember. I think that's right, yeah. They had and a blue kit on, didn't they? When they blue won. kit with the yellow stars. Yeah. And I yeah. remember just being like, just awestruck by that gate. And Ajax would have had the red and white yeah. you know, classic that's right. vertical stripe down the middle. And I remember just, so it all links together. There was that final 
And then the Euro 96 came like the summer after. So what weeks after that final. And then in the July, my dad's taken me to this game. So he must have been thinking, right, he seems to be into football now. He likes this. He watched Mm. that football. He loved Euro 96. Let's go to a game. And it's Chelsea. And Viali might play. And he didn't. But I remember at Swindon in the, what they call the Arkle stand, which is like the sort of one of the bigger stands on the side, like the length, what would you call it? Like the length of the pitch side. Um, the director's box is sort of one of those where it's just exactly the same as all the other seats with a bit of padding and like a bit of metal that, so that <laughs> separates it. Yeah. He was in the director's box and I was sort of near it. So I could see his like bald head about five seats down, just absolutely buzzing about it. Um, I, you know, we all thought he would be playing. I remember there was a suggestion that Hoddle would play as well. Don't, looking at the teams, he didn't play that day. I never saw him play as a Swindon fan because I was too young. Like I was, when we were in the Premier League, I was like six or whatever. And my dad, not being from Swindon, not being a Swindon fan, never really took me there. But just looking at the dates, he, that must have been what's happened as he went, wow, this boy seems to like football now. Like he's really into it. Let's go to a game. And well, oh, Chelsea are here. Let's go and have a look. And I think we lost 2-0. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's what I can remember. The Viali thing was, was big for me. And I remember, I even think Viali was on the front of the programme, which is, you know, it was obviously a bit of a coup getting Swin- uh, getting Chelsea down for the thing. I remember being like really impressed by their fans because it was the, the Stratton Bank. Swindon have still got an uncovered away and must be one of the few of like the bigger, mm. not, like lower league clubs to still have an uncovered away stand. They packed it out and the songs and all that sort of stuff. It was it was amazing. Um, I remember being really excited by it, but it wasn't something that we it, then that wasn't like right. I'm going to Swindon every week. Then it was we still. I think it was because it was Chelsea that my dad took me and, you know, it was a big game in that sense. But um, that was it for me for a bit, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's a lovely tale because in a way it's kind of like six degrees of separation in a way that Juventus playing Ajax in the 1996 Champions League final leads to you being a Swindon fan in a way. I know. Um, and, the, and it was because of Gianluca Vialli. Yeah. So if, if you had been sort of absorbed by that, by that game and by Euro 96, your dad might not take you to the county ground. You may not support Swindon. It's kind of incredible how these things will work out sometimes. Honestly, no, because I don't think at that, at that age, I don't think I would have pestered him. I was playing football at that point. So we, were, we would have been playing at weekends, basically. Um, I was playing football from under seven. So I, we were busy at weekends, basically. Mm. So then I can't imagine a reason for him to take me to games, like to take me to Swindon game. You're right. Then I would have just settled on something else, maybe, or so another club. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that whole, yeah, Viali, and I think he might have scored in that final. Ravinelli did, I can't remember. Maybe it was penalties, but... He went yeah. to penalties. I, mean, I think it was one all in normal time and went definitely went to penalties. I remember watching, I'm a bit older than you. And I remember, a long time ago. I mean, it was yeah. a long time ago. But it was the best summer ever, I've seen. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, this year is the 25th anniversary of things that happened in 1996. There's been a lot of you know, stuff about Euro 96, Nebworth, obviously Oasis's yes. famous gigs. And I was 15 in 1996, a bit older oh. than you, so I remember it really well. It's, it's still the best summer ever of all time. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, so, so you touched on it there. So you said that game didn't necessarily then lead to you immediately go, wanting to go to Swindon every week. So what, what's your sort of history in terms of watching? Have you ever had a season ticket? How regular have you been? Yeah. So, then, so then around, so again, just looking through the dates, I remember, so then we went sort of on and off. But I remember more going to, Swin- to the county ground for like England under 21s and things like that. And like the odd friendly when bigger clubs came. Mm. So I wasn't... <clears throat> Like, come on, Dad, let's go and watch Swindon against Warsaw or whatever. Like, I can't remember that ever happening. But then in 2001, I went for some reason, and this is when I believe Swindon, Roy Evans would have been the manager. So we had like Razor Ruddick. It was that, it was a weird sort of spell at that point when we obviously overspent basically with Satanta money, as it turned out. 
I, there were two of my mates, Paddy and Carl, who used to go all the time. And for some reason, I was like, can I come? And it was Swindon against Hereford at the county ground. And it was an amazing game. Like we won 3-2, but it was, you know, we were down and up. And one of those dramatic thrillers. And I was absolutely hooked at that point. And I remember walking away and then like walking back that night after the game and them going, like, you do know it's not like that every week. But, you know, I was just buzzing, thinking that yeah. was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Um, so from that point, 2001, I think it was in the December-ish, then I carried on going. I got a half-season ticket the back end of that season. And then for the next, until I went to uni, which was in 2007, I think, then I had a season ticket every year, home and away, proper, you know, like that was the stint. And, and at that point, I would have been 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, like real formative years that was when we were going to Swindon and it was such a massive part of my week really of my life actually mm. um and it was that game against Hereford yeah because before that I'd been a bit intermittent and I wish I could remember back to why in 2001 I was like do you mind like can I come to the gate you know what's the crack here it must have been Evans and 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 Ruddock and the, the sort of allure of that as, as sad as that sounds but I reckon that must have been something to do with it it seemed like something was happening at the club um, and it was, it was negative, it turned out to be terrible in the end, but yeah, that was the start of it. And then, so I missed the premiership, you know, I was, I was too young then. I don't know whether my dad ever thought about taking me, but I was six, you know, mm. I've got a kid, I've got a boy now who's three. I don't think I'll take him to football at that age, really, maybe. But yeah, he didn't, you know, we never went at that point. So I missed all that. So I just got like the, the crap end, really. I've always thought that I missed the fun. And then, but then we did have some, you know, we had some times, um, so yeah, two, 1996 was my first game. There was a little bit then here and there, but then 2001, I really got really got into it. I just say that as someone who sports Liverpool and sport Liverpool in the 90s, I totally get the allure of yeah. to watch Roy Evans and Neil Ruddock in the flesh. So don't worry about it. You don't need to apologise <laughs> for that at all. Um, <laughs> you spoke about the county ground before in, in quite negative terms. I mean, is it a ground that's changed a lot in, in your time sporting the club? Yeah. It feels like one that hasn't gone through a lot of change. It feels like it's quite tied. I've never been myself, so I can't really comment on what it's Yeah, it's literally, I know, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to be, you know, I, I love the place, but I've always, always, it seems to always be grey there. And it's obviously not. I mean, Swindon's like that anyway. But it's, you know, it is, anyone who goes there, you would, it's so unimpressive. But, you know, sometimes if you go to a terrible, crappy ground, it's almost impressive how shit. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, this is great. Like, this is proper. You go to Swindon, like my, when I went back, so when I went in 2001, then I sat in the South Stand, which is again, the, the other big stand, like the other big long stand. And it was fun for a while. And it was, you know, but then I went in, then I started going in the town end, which is behind the goal, the, the covered one behind the goal. And it's quality in there. And in terms of like atmosphere and the people, it's amazing. So like when I, I do speak, the, the the ground has always been a bit like um, you know it's just a bit it's just a bit shit basically and I don't think anyone any Swindon fan would agree with me on that it's a bit it's well tired it need we needed a new ground a long time ago but it is that sort of bleak and I don't know whether that comes from my first you know I've only ever known like really been going regularly when we've been playing Huddersfield and Chesterfield and mm. every other field in the fucking country but you know it's 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 one of those places that has always needed a bit of a facelift. But again, I wouldn't change it like the town end. Like I've had some of the best moments of my life in that place. It's a crappy little stand behind the goal, but it's sensational. And there's no place like it as a Swindon fan, at, you know, when it's rocking and at a, 
crucial point of a game or a goal goes in, there's not, and as a football fan, you're sort of, you know exactly what I mean. There's no place you'd rather be in yeah. the world. So even though it's crap, like we all love it. So is that sort of like a standing area where like the, the ultras stand? And by ultras, I just mean sort of kids and who are a bit wild, have had a few beers before they've got into the ground and it's, it's just sort of lively from the start. That sort of yeah, but it's sort of, it sort of moved around a bit because the Arkles, the Arkles stand, which was like the end of it is where some of the away fans go. So if, if, we, if the away team don't take too many, they'll just be put in the Arkles at the end. So then there was a time when the articles was fun because you'd be sort of baiting the away fans, basically. And then the South Stand seemed to be good. And then it went to the town and then it moved again. So, but the town end, yeah, it's a small behind the goal. So it's where you see the limbs when, you know, where yeah, the goals yeah. go in sort of job. Not very big, very like low ceiling one, you know, packed. One side of it was basically, you know, most people would sit down, but then the rest of it would be just steward constantly sit down, you know, one of those places. And amazing when you know when it's packed, when it's when it's really go. Like, you can't see fucking anything whatsoever, but unless you you know attacking that end, so you're always hoping to attack the town in the second half. You know, it's one of those mm. jobs. So um, yeah, and it was great. the ta- The town end days for me were the were, were sort of my favourite ones, but um, for the most part, the rest of the ground is just a bit just a bit humdrum, really. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I get that as well. I think I say I go to football not to watch the game, but just to feel the atmosphere. Yeah. I think the more you don't see, almost the better, because that means you're having a laugh in the stand <laughs> and you're getting limbs, as you say, limbs everywhere and stuff. So, I totally get that. Great. Now you've 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 spoken about that you were you were too young to remember it, but I sort of feel we need to touch on Swindon season in the Premier League because it's kind of the elephant in the room if we don't. So. Yeah. Swindon have only ever had one season in the top flight. Um, I referenced it earlier. It was a 93-94 season, uh, the second season of the Premier League. So you promoted via um, quite a thrilling playoff final victory over Leicester yeah. uh, under Glenn Hoddle, who, who you mentioned as well before. He's a player manager, playing some really good football, um, quite a positive time, I guess, at, at the time. But then he left that summer to take over at Chelsea. His assistant, John Gorman, a man who had a, a fantastic tash. I do have, do have Lovely bloke as well. Nice oh, really? Oh, excellent. Yeah. We'll come on to that. Um, he, was his, he, was, he was Hoddle's assistant and he became manager. So he took Swindon into the Premier League, this historic season, Swindon's first ever season in the top flight in England. And it didn't go very well. Um, you finished bottom in the 93-94 Premier League season with 30 points, having won only five games all season. Conceded 100 goals, which remains a record in the Premier League era. You went bottom after a 5-0 home defeat to Liverpool on the second Sunday of the season and you stayed there uh, for the rest of the season. Go on. So I've a couple more, couple more kicks to the shin and I'll, leave, <laughs> and I'll, um, and I'll stop. But um, actually, well, really, I was going to now sort of give Swindon a couple of mitigating factors here, actually, because as well as losing um, Glenn Hoddle, you actually lost a couple of key players at the start of that season. Colin Calderwood, who was a big defender for you, joined Tottenham and you had a striker called Dave Mitchell who joined Altay Isma in Turkey. Yeah. Um, and you did get quite a sort of notable result in that in that season. You drew two all with Manchester United at the County Grounds. United were champions; they'd go on to win the double that season. You came back twice uh, to get a two all draw. It's probably a game most notable for Eric Cantona stamping on yeah you know, John yeah. Monker's chest. Um, yeah, but overall a pretty grim season. As you said, you were very very young at the time, so you've probably got no memories of it. But where does that sort of season, is that season that Swindon fans talk about? Is it commem- yeah. commemorated at all at the ground or around the ground or in any uh, way at all? I mean, still well, quite notable to have had that season. Yeah, I think maybe it's not because we've had about 72 owners since then. So it's like, <laughs> there's never any opportunity for anyone to actually reflect on anything. You know, it's one of them. But 
it, I mean, it is. And I, I wasn't there at the time. I remember yeah. the, the, the Cantona Moncur stamp. Like, I remember that. And I remember, it, you know, it was big news at the time. So I remember that whole thing. Obviously, we also had the Jan Agafjortov that year. And for a yes. while, he was top top goal scorer, you know. Yeah. And I think I'm right in saying there were 24 or maybe 22 teams in the Prem that year. So all of those, those um, uh, you know, facts about how many goals we conceded in that doesn't really count, actually, because we, if we'd had 20 games like everyone else or 38 games like everyone else, it wouldn't have happened. So I like to draw a line through them. <laughs> I don't think it really counts. But no, I, I don't know. It's... It's one of them where Hoddle, I believe the story goes that he sort of wanted to be Chelsea manager and he got told to go and sort of get some experience. A bit like with Lampard and Derby, I guess. So then mm. he went to Swindon and he was player manager, you know, and he's Glenn Hoddle. So he's playing for Swindon. So then obviously we're going to do well. And there's some amazing footage. I think it's with Moncur or, or another player. It's quality. And he's like on the training ground. Again, it's grey. It looks bleak. I think it's the pitch behind the ground, which anyone can rock up and play. And it's Hoddle saying, nah, you know, he needs to be a bit more like this. And it gets the ball, like swings it in the top corner. You yeah, know, it's yeah. at, and the player's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, like you can just It's imagine. quite a famous clip, actually, I think. It's from yeah, a documentary, that, you know, potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, so that, yeah, it's a great clip. Yeah, it yeah. sort of gives it, you know, I think, you know, Hoddle played sweeper and stuff. And obviously we went up. And then he fucks off. So then we've got Gorman, lovely bloke, but he's an assistant manager. And we're Swindon Town in the Premiership, as it was called at that time. Mm. But we got Fjortov, and it was entertaining. I remember when they won the first game, I think it was against Coventry or Oldham or something like that. No, Oldham we, we lost. Anyway, it was Fjortov with the old um, aeroplane celebration, which, it, which was born in Swindon. He scored a goal and sort of wheeled away to celebrate and saw a woman in the stand doing this aeroplane. So he just copied it and it became this famous, like, iconic celebration. Oh, really? Is that where yeah. that came from? That's where it came two from. Two cracking tales on this podcast. The, the Oasis, um, where the name came from, the Leisure Centre thing, the Fjortov Aeroplane celebration. I don't know which one's more famous, Oasis <laughs> or Fjortov Aeroplane, but, you know, they're both up there. But, um, right, yeah, you know, it's a, mad, it's a mad season. And I remember coming back, so then going to, as a Swindon fan and having all this that I've missed and being like, fuck, shit, all that actually happened. It was always quite regret and I always imagined it was just around the corner we'd go back and we'd be there again at some point it obviously hasn't happened like that and some of the players that we had at that time like I've seen I've watched that Leicester game a lot in the playoff final and still the, the sound of the, the ball hitting the post as it go, you know, goes in it's amazing anyone who hasn't seen that game you want to watch it it's quality it's incredible but arguably I mean people talk about Charlton Sunderland uh, as like yeah. being the greatest playoff final of all time but that Swindon one I mean I, I saw doing my re- research for this podcast but also just being aware of it from the time that Swindon Leicester uh, what was it, first division player final as it would have been in 93. It's an amazing game. It yeah. really is. It's I think, I believe, incredible. what, three all, and then they pulled it back to 3-3, three, 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 Julian Joachim was up. Yeah, you're 3-1 up when you then went to 3-3 three, three, and then... Yeah, and up. then Paul Bowden scored a penalty and obviously yeah. famously missed one for Wales, so that was always, you know, funny. But, um, yeah, mad, I'm mad just to think that we had that and obviously, in true Swindon fashion, you know, just totally, it went as badly as possible. Or at least, but there were still these little glimmers of like Fjortov. They were entertaining, drawing with United, things like that. Some of the goals is funny as well. You know, when you see like uh, like Ian Wright scored an amazing chip that season at the County Ground. Yeah. Basically, everyone turned up and just scored amazing goals against Swindon. Because they <laughs> um, I mean, the Coldwood would have been a massive loss at that point. You know, big centre half and whatever, and him leaving not not ideal, but. Yeah, in terms of commemoration, not really. I mean, it, it's sort of all, it's almost like it never happened. Um, but then it, 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 we, we reminded of it when 
some team has a terrible start to a Premier League season, it's like, are they doing as badly as Swindon were? It's like, no, <laughs> they're still all right. You made your mark at least. If exactly, you're going to be shit, you're going to be properly shit. Yeah, I do think <laughs> there's a couple of times when it's got, especially the goals conceded things got clear and I'm like, no, please don't do that. <laughs> really? Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> something to hold on to yeah just, exactly. to, just to say about that Man United game so that happened in March 1994 yeah, actually there's a picture just on that there's a picture yeah. of the stamp in the I spent a lot of time as a journalist and whatever in the county ground and inside somewhere I'm trying to remember where it is but there's a picture of Canton stamping on Moncur so like that's that's one of the like the mem- the memories of that of the club is that er- the great Eric Cantona decided to stamp on someone at our yeah. ground so it's yeah it was a horrific stamp as well. If you watch it back, yeah, you, you can see the highlights of the game on YouTube. And yeah, I mean, it was, so to say, it took place at the county ground in March 1994. Man United were champions. They were going to go win the double in a couple of months. Roy King gave them the lead. Luke Nyholt equalised for Swindon. Yes. Paul Inson got one back for Man United. And then Fjortov, Jan Argy Fjortov equalised for Swindon. And uh, yeah, it was a proper feisty game, actually. Swindon was sort of throwing themselves around a bit, but in a good way, sort of showing that they weren't, you know, they weren't going to get bullied. And they showed that by the fact they came back twice as well. They, they were... There was a lot of belief and a lot of fight in that team and so much fight and belief that it wound up Cantona and uh, to the extent they stamped on John Monker's chest following a sort of tussle between the pair in the second half and quite rightly he was sent off because it was an absolutely disgusting, yeah. disgusting stamp. It was awful. Um, yeah, so as I said, you got relegated in 94 and you've sort of been bobbing between League One and League Two ever since. Um, I say you said before you're going regularly between 2001 and sort of 2007 before you went to university. In that period specifically, when you're going regularly, what are the highlights? And also, um, I know you've got rivalry with Oxford as well. So are that, were they, did you play Oxford a lot in that time? Were they yeah. the sort of the big nights that you remember? No, they went down. Um, they were ba- So just before I started, so just before that Hereford game in 2001, we played against Oxford away, 1-2-0. Steve Robinson scored twice at the, at the Manor then before they moved into the Kassam where they're at now, the three-sided job. And then they were basically out of the division. And then we got them in the cup. Uh, and I remember it was massive. You know, it was like colossal because we hadn't played them for ages. And we'd been playing like Bristol City and Bristol, Ro- Bristol Rovers Red, in, you know, the other sort of rivals around the, the area. But Oxford, obviously the big one. And we hadn't played them for so long. We got them in the cup and then we lost 1-0. It was live on TV. And I remember going there. It was at the Kassam. And, you know, we, it was one of them where you had to queue for hours in, you know, on a Monday to get your ticket sort of thing. And it was, everyone was there. It was amazing but then we lost 1-0 forgotten the name of the geezer who scored anyway then they got Arsenal you know so they beat us and they got Arsenal in the next round away and I remember being so fucking annoyed because then it was like they were at Highbury on match of the day they lost like 5-0 whatever it was but it was just like a sickener and then since then we've sort of been in and around the division a bit more but they weren't really part they because they were they were below they were basically league two at that time for the first for the the sort of three or four or five years that I was going as a season to get on it. The only time I went there was in the cup at that point. We've played them more regularly recently and they, we seem to lose a lot at the moment. It's really fucking annoying. You know, we, it's not, it hasn't been good for us. Rivalry, like Derby's haven't been good for us and Wembley hasn't been good for us because we were one of the only clubs who never lost at Wembley. We never lost at the old Wembley. Won in 1969 League Cup final and beat Arsenal. Won in 1990 when we went up but didn't go up. Yeah. And then against Leicester. So it was a hundred percent winning record, and then since the new one came, we just lose all the time. Whether that's Johnson's paint playoff finals, two of them, three of them lost up against Millwall. You know, it's been a fucking nightmare, and it's just been total bottlers. And again, it's not 
you can't put that on anything because it's always different group of players, different manager. And it's like, is it something to do with the club? Is it something <laughs> ingrained in the makeup of the club? I tend to think not. Um, but yeah, it's been some pain. It's been some real pain. Like The worst one for me was, well, there was a couple actually. There, there was one, I don't know if you remember this, but we, had, we got Leeds in the cup when Leeds, you know, it was the season they were beating Roma and stuff like that. And we got them at Ellen Road. We all went up there and went 2-0 up. Two amazing goals. Andy Gurney scored a free kick, 30-yard job. Sam Parkin, I'll, I'll send you the link, right, for this goal because it is absolutely sensational. Like, tick-attacker, and then it gets rolled through to Parkin, slots it in front of the away end to go 2-0 up at Leeds. Anyway, then we concede one. Then the goalkeeper gets sent off. And then Paul Robinson, the keeper, remember, he scores the header. Can you remember that? He scored the header. I remember Paul Robinson header. scoring a header. I, it, it, that rings a bell. I don't remember it being against Swindon, but yeah, yeah I bet you heard for it. it the most unbelievable, like it was a beautiful header, like corner swung in, like he gets up, bang, like top. It's not like a scuffed one. And then we lost on penalties. And I remember that it was just so deflating, but it was one of those ones where you were all, like, you're so proud of them because it was, we come so close to beating Leeds, but we just couldn't do it. Torn got a flying header from this sort of position. There's Robinson, and he's done it too! Unbelievable scenes! Has Alan Road ever seen a moment like it? Paul Robinson, the goalkeeper, has rescued Leeds United! Same year, we lost to Brighton in the semi-finals of the playoffs, again on penalties, and it was just painful. It was the old with Dean, so it was, we got pissed on the whole game. They beaten us one 0 at the county ground, and then we went back to there, scored in like the last couple of minutes to equalise on aggregate. Then, so everyone is like, it was the most euphoric thing ever, you know. At the other end, this we're all soaked, and it goes in one all, and then Rory Fallon scored just at the start of extra time, so we're two one up, and then. Oh, what's his name? What's the geezer's name? The bloke he ended up going to Celtic, Brighton bloke. Anyway, he scored it right at the end to equalise. And you know when you, the team that loot, like equalise or concedes like that never win the penalties ever. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then we lost on penalties in front of us as well. And it was like, fuck. You know, and then Brighton, they didn't go up there. I think they got beaten by Bristol City in the final. I think Leon Knight scored. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, um, or Leroy Leiter even. Um, yeah, it was... Those times were pretty, pretty tough. So my big standout moments are defeats, actually. And again, that shapes you, I guess, isn't it? As a, yeah, of that spell. Like, there were never any big, we've won. You know, it was never, it was never really, really like that. As far, from that spell, anyway, there were a couple of seasons where we did well. The playoff season, obviously, we did amazing, but then we didn't go up at the end of it. So you sort of think, oh, fucking hell, what was all that about? Yeah, and uh, I was saying, and that, that will shape you, won't it? If you yeah. experience defeat after defeat, I think so. 
Yeah. I mean, talking about Wembley, um, I was at one of Swindon's defeats at the new Wembley. It was a 2012 Johnson's Paint Trophy final. You, you mentioned it before. Swindon losing yeah. to uh, Chesterfield. I covered it for the Guardian. And that came in what I'm guessing is one of the most interesting, notable managerial tenures that you've experienced as a Swindon fan, which was the Paolo Di Canio uh, era yeah. at Swindon. So he was Swindon's manager between May 2011 and February 2013. Uh, in the 2011-2012 season, he led Swindon to the League Two title. And that same season was when you lost to Chesterfield in the Johnson's Spain Trophy. So got you to Wembley at least. I guess that's something positive. And obviously, you, uh, you won the title, the League Two title as well. But in his time yeah. at Swindon, typical of De Canio, there were some, some massive fallouts as well. So he got into two very public and, uh, and heated arguments with two of his players, Leon Clark and Wes Fodringham. He called yeah. Clark lazy and Fodringham the worst professional he's ever seen. Uh, and on, upon resigning in 2013 as well, he accused the club of broken promises. Um, yeah, as I said, is it fair to say that's been one of the most kind of notable managerial tenures of your time sporting it Swindon? Was, How do you reflect on it generally? It was fucking great. It was so great that whole <laughs> time. Like, and uh, everyone, I'm sure a lot of people saw the Wes Fodringham, the League One, that, that, that whole thing. Basically, we, we were at Preston, I think, and it was like two, three nil down after whatever. And so he hooked Fodringham, the keeper. And Fodderham's losing, losing the plot, obviously kicking the bottles and whatever. And then De Canio does this amazing interview afterwards. No, nothing wrong to change and a goalkeeper, especially if we don't talking about Czech. No? Have you, We're have talking you, about Wes, 20-year-old. Last year, he didn't play even one second football, professional football. And just when he met me, we gave him the opportunity to play a professional football. What did you make of his reaction when he came off and kicked the bottle? He didn't look very happy. Ah, uh, if he wasn't happy... Uh, we were uh, fuming. We were absolutely, uh, I don't know what expression to use, but uh, it's obvious that if he doesn't say sorry to everybody, he's out. Uh, he's out. So he's he out. has to apologise? or is No, or but he... I, have to, I have to come from his heart. Uh, you have to really believe because you have to convince the people that he make and apologise. Otherwise, he's out. In my regime, uh, we work in this way. He made a very bad performance with Stoke, the only player he played bad, but just because we won 4-3, we covered the situation. And now he, he did what he did today, and go out in this manner because he's untouchable. That is uh, mad. League One, League One West, 20 year old. Are we crazy? Basically, I think there's a nut, um, Simon Ferry, who was a player at the time, did a podcast, was on a podcast talking about it. And it just sounded like the most mental time to be a player. But also, they all loved him. And he mm. really got results. And like he got them super fit. I remember when he turned up. Uh, uh, just for a bit of context, right? The, these are the sort of managers we were having at that time. We were having, like, Andy King, obviously. God rest his soul. Great, great manager. Great scout. He was in charge when I first started going. Ifeonora, A.D. Williams, Paul Sturrock, Dave Byrne, Maurice Malpass, Danny Wilson, Paul Hart. You know, these are the sort of names that we yeah. got used to. You know, the classic lower league managers. Then we ended up with, with, um, with Paolo Di Canio. But actually before that, trying to think when the date, we, got, we had Dennis Wise and Gus mm. Poyet, which at the time was, I came in as like a managerial duo and they did the same thing. It was like this risky thing, get two, two young guys in and they did the same, got everyone super fit, got, got success. And then so when Di Canio turned up, it was like, this worked for us before with Wise, let's do it again. And it was superb. Some of the signings we made, he made were mental. Like, there were rumours that some of the trialists he had on were just blokes that like played five-a-side with his brother who were like <laughs> half-decent and they would turn up like not professional players. You could just imagine it. But he got them super fit. 
the players really played for him. I don't think because they were petrified of him. He was absolutely mental. Like some of the stories you hear about him making sure that they weren't like out on the piss, you know, spying on people, phoning them like at 11 o'clock on Saturday night. It was just a quality time to be a football fan, like a fan of a club like that because you get bored. You get bored as, yeah. as a fan of a club like Swindon and it just gets hub and drum. And I mean, the way it ended was amazing as well. You know, he broke into the county ground and like took pictures off the wall and stuff. It was just... I was so bored. Did Canio broke into the county ground? Oh, he broke into the county ground. So I believe... I believe um, this was Sam Cunningham, another football journalist from Daily Mail. I believe it was his story. And he was all over Swindon at that point. I can't remember why. Um, But I believe it was him who broke the story. But Canio had basically gone back in like the dead of night. I don't know if he had keys or whatever, but he got into the county ground and like took pictures off the wall and stuff like that. And it was just... He left and we were like top or second or something. It all, you know, everything fell apart at that point. And it was sad, but it was the only way it really could have ended. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, all I can say is that, you know, as a Swindon fan, you just long for stuff like that. And like since then, when we've had times when we're sort of, right, who's the next manager? We're looking for manager. I've always been like, get Paolo back, get someone (laughs) in. Because it just, you know, whether it goes badly or whether it goes well, it's at least notable and it's at least makes you feel alive in some way but yeah I mean it was it was quality we had some great nights there and he brought in some good players um, and he had success like you mentioned uh, and, and whenever you hear from the players who played under him they all loved it as well I think it's a bit like Roy Keane though where it's just I don't think the style will ever work for any length of time as a manager yeah. or for any any sort of level there's a it, there comes a point where the players just stop responding to that um but they responded to it at Swindon and it was yeah. good for all of us. Yeah, I can imagine with Paolo Di Canio as a manager, probably as a player as well. He's here for a good time, but he's not here for a long time. Is yeah. it? He's always going to sort of end in tears quite quickly as well. Exactly. Um, Adam Virgo. Adam Virgo was the geezer who scored against us for Brighton. Fucking prick. Um, <laughs> I'm going all the way back to that. Yeah, really mind, isn't it? Fair enough. Adam, <laughs> nice one. Um, I said earlier that we, I said we were on that press trip in um, in Austria in, in 2017 when we went to Klitschko, Vladimir Klitschko's training camp. I remember at that time, there's something mad going on with Tim Sherwood at Swindon as well. What was that all about? Yeah. He was sort of manager, but not manager. What was well, that he, so he was Lee Power's mate. So Lee Power, aforementioned Lee Power, the owner yeah. that was just left. He was Lee Power's mate and he turned up, but he was sort of director of football, but then he was sort of manager, but then he wouldn't be at home games or he would be at the home games sometimes. It was a bizarre situation. And again, I don't really want to cast aspersions on it, but he didn't. It was no success from it. It didn't. We didn't do it. It, it was not like oh, Tim Sherwood turned up. Yeah, we're doing well now. He would sort of be there sometimes. It was just sounded like chaos. Sounded like mm. the exact opposite of what you need to generate any sort of good feeling, any sort of respect for a manager, or any um, results. Actually, at the end of it, it didn't last very long. Um, we went for a spell then where we were getting a lot of the Swin- uh, Swindon, a lot of the sort of Tottenham players who, you know, because Tottenham were one of the first teams, I believe, to get rid of their reserves. So they had like bundles of good players that needed like loans and stuff like that. And we'd get a lot of them. They come down and then we'd often get players who had just been released by Premier League clubs or whatever, get them in, get them playing, get them scoring and then sell them on for profit. It was like a very clear business model. But obviously what that means is that you end up with a team that might be successful for like a year or six months or whatever. And then the, the best players leave because you need to sell him or whatever. And that was sort of around that time. Um, Nathan Byrne was one. He was a little geezer. He came as a fullback, I believe, from Tottenham. Ended up being a striker, scoring loads of goals. We sold him for Wolves for like a couple of million quid. I don't know what he's doing now. Um, but that, that was basically 
that sort of period. And Sherwood was sort of around then. And again, it was this weird thing we had with Tottenham and it must have just been after the time that Sherwood had, been, had, had the, you know, been in charge of Tottenham for a bit, but it didn't last very long. And it would, that certainly was, it wasn't fruitful for us as far as I can remember. Yeah. I just remember us being on that trip and you sort of, yeah, talking to yourself a lot about like you were checking your phone and some something mad had happened Sherwood related, but I couldn't quite remember the details. But I remember, yeah, he was sort of in charge, but not in charge. Yeah, um, fantastic, Declan. You've been brilliant. We'll get on to a couple of sort of final things that we all see at the end of this podcast shortly. Before yeah. we do that, I just want to throw a sort of hypothetical question at you. I'm really intrigued Uh-oh. to get your answer. So, you know, I've said that last sort of 20, 25 years have been incredibly mad and wild and unstable and financially insecure for Swindon, and I guess now the obvious thing to say is as a Swindon fan, you probably just want a bit of stability for a few years. You just want the club to be yeah. stable and secure and not be on the brink of financial ruin and not to have managers coming and going and owners fighting and all that stuff. So I could offer you that, you know, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years of sort of stability and the odd promotion, the odd relegation, but things are pretty calm or the alternative is a wild ride. It's all mad. It's all mental. But in that wild ride, you will go back into the Premier League for one season Ooh. And then you come out again and it'll be mad, it'll be crazy and you'll be in administration or in a threat administration again. Which would you take, given you didn't really remember 93, 94? Yeah, you take I'd take that, that one. And, and uh, do you know what? Uh, what I have found is that being, being a Swindon fan during this period, we've basically been between, like, like you mentioned, League One, League Two, not even the Championship, and losing every week in League One as a fan that goes home and away it's better to be winning every week in League Two. It's as simple as that. Mm. Like, I remember going to Boston, winning like 3-1 three, three and like all over the place, Warsaw, Colchester, everywhere across the country, Carlisle. And when you go and win these games, it doesn't matter that you're in League Two. It mm. literally matters nothing. Don't, nobody cares. Nobody goes, well, we could be in League One. That It's about the moment, isn't it? It's about the experience, it's about what you do that day. And when, the, when you have a result like that, when you have... The, the, when you have a game like that, nobody cares. Whereas if you're in League One and you're going to Coventry losing 2-0 or you're going to whatever it is, and then that is not that, that has no positive impact on your life or on your day when it comes to the idea of living in a moment. Yeah, no matter where you are. Yeah. If you're in League Two, winning in League Two, I'd rather take that than losing in League One. So with that in mind, the idea of five or six stable seasons is nice and we might just get them. But it's just a bit, I'd take the wild ride, I think. And especially if we got up there. Our problem is, and I mentioned it earlier, we can't, there's no infrastructure in the town or in the club. There's nothing set up where we don't even own the ground. We pay the council rent. Mm. So you can't, the amount of times I've heard about new stadiums being built, we're supposed to build this new stadium only for a group of local residents to complain about the, a species of newt that might be endangered by the, by Swindon <laughs> being built on the on the on the ground, like that's what Swindon Town has to deal with. Blimey. They had a patch of ground. They were going to build this new stadium, which basically, as anyone who knows about modern football will realise, as soon as you have corporate executive boxes, you have things going on at the club or at the ground outside of match days. Yeah. You start actually generating money as a business. You're not reliant on ticket money coming in to pay the wages, which is so old hat now that it doesn't work. It won't create any success. The amount of clubs I've seen that were like Swansea and Hull and things like this that were, Swindon were much bigger, much more successful than them at that point. Then they get a new ground. They get their business in, in, in order and they're, look at them now. You know, they've left us in their wake and the amount of clubs that overtake us because of that. 
because of a new ground or whatever. So the newt thing with the ground basically was just summed everything up for me. But until we get a new ground, nothing like that's ever going to happen. Like we're, ne- we're never going to be able to move beyond what we are doing right now. Unless you get a couple of exciting seasons where you get a good group of players, which we've had a couple of times. So I'd have to take that. I'd have to take that. And then you never know once we're up there, we're up there. I mean, look at Brentford. Look at Brentford. I used to go to Brentford. It was one of my, in fact, it's my favourite away game because it's an hour down the M4. Griffin Park had a pub on every corner, famously. I remember paying two quid to get into that terrace behind the goal. Wins, defeats, amazing place to go as a fan. Never did I once think that they would be in the Premier League or they would be better, you know, beyond Swindon. It was always like, they're Brentford. So look what happens when you sort, like when a club can actually sort it out. So I'd take the second option there. I know it wouldn't be, I'd probably regret at the end of it, but, you you know, might be dead by the end of it anyway. Absolutely. I've got to say, um, we had John McClure from Reverend and the Makers on the previous episode of his podcast about being a Sheffield Wednesday fan. And he mentioned how Vladimir Putin was responsible for Hillsborough not being... Uh, renovated in the in the 90s but which I thought was the greatest why a stadium hasn't yeah. been renovated story ever but n- local residents complaining about uh, a species of newt being the reason the why newt. the county ground hasn't been renovated might be my favourite uh, story <laughs> regarding why a ground hasn't it's been a, improved it's a new point it's a new point very good nice work Declan you've been absolutely brilliant right let's get on to the last couple of things I always do at the end of this podcast so the first yeah. thing is your all time 11 so to explain to people listening for the first time I always ask my guests to pick their all-time 11, which is based on the best 11 players they've seen during their time sporting their club. And so Declan's been kind enough to do his all-time Swindon 11. Let's go through it. So it's in a 3-4-3 formation. Nice, funky formation. Yeah, can, well. I just, can I just say there, it pained me to do that. I wanted to go 4-4-2, like really, really wanted to go 4-4-2, but I couldn't fit the players in. Because in, <laughs> really, as a Swindon fan, 4-4-2 has been my favourite in yeah. terms of like the result. But... I went 3-4-3. Yeah. No, I was delighted to get a 3-4-3 formation. We get a lot of 4-4-2s, which is absolutely fine. Uh, no problems yeah. with a 4-4-2 at all, but it's lovely to get the, get the odd 3-4-3. So let's go through your 3-4-3 formation. So in goal, Fraser Digby, your back three, Paul Caddis, Sean Taylor and Matt Hayward. Uh, your midfield four then, Danny Invincible, Stefano Migloranzi, Jimmy Davis and Mark Walters. And the three up front, Simon Cox, Sam Parkin, and Charlie Austin. Um, I'm just going to mention one player that really stood out for me, and that's Mark Walters. Mm. So he played for Swindon between 1996 and 1999. He has a very special place in my heart because he was the goal scorer, who he was the first person, I should say, who I, score, who I saw score a goal for Liverpool in the flesh. Uh, my first ever Liverpool game was against Blackburn at Anfield in December 1992. We won 2-1. Uh, Graham Souness was the manager and Mark Walters got both of Liverpool's goals that day. So it was a very special place in my heart. So I was delighted to see him, him, in, your, him, in, his, your, him in your team. A um, couple other people I think it's worth mentioning is Jimmy Davis and Sam Parkin. Uh, we'll come on to Jimmy Davis first. Um, I didn't realise the story behind him. Quite a, quite a tragic tale. Do you want to talk about Jimmy Davis? Yeah, so Jimmy Davis turned up. So it was when Andy King was manager. So Andy King was one of the best at spotting the talent of like manager wise, certainly as a Swindon fan, some of the players used to pick up were unbelievable. Anyway, Jimmy Davis was big uh, talent in the, I say big, he was very small, actually <laughs> little playmaker, like one of those players, you know, it's just a joy to watch, you know, as a yeah. fan, especially as a Swindon fan, you get someone like that, that good turned up on loan from Man United. Everyone loved him. Cheeky little guy, unbelievable player. Um, he, 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 I think he spent a season on loan with us. I can't remember, but you know, he was, he was 
like just yards above everyone on the pitch at all times. It was amazing. Then we tried to get him back on loan, obviously, the next year. But then he went on loan to Watford or maybe even signed for them. I think it was a loan where Danny Weber was as well, another Man United youngster. And that, the whole idea was that they would really link up and fire Watford up at the time. Um, and I remember it was, we were playing Sheffield Wednesday at home on the opening day of the season, scorching hot day. And everyone, everyone got, got word that a, a, a Man United player had died in a car crash that morning and that the Watford game had been called off. So it was obviously either Weber or, mm. or Davis. And that, what had happened, Jimmy Davis had, had died that, in a car crash that, in the early hours of that, of that morning. And, and yeah, that was, that was it. And he, you know, obviously it, that he'd played for Swindon the season before and it really, it really rocked the club. You know, he's such a nice guy and, and everyone, everyone loved him. And the, the same sentiments were across Man United and Watford and anyone who ever met him, really. We had a memorial game against, I'm trying to remember what the team, but wherever he was from, one of the, one of the small, like non-league clubs around Manchester. And I remember that season, I think it was the third or fourth game, Jimmy Davis's mum came to the to the ground before, and it gives me it's make my hair stay, stand up on my neck thinking about it now. She did a speech before at the county ground like on the pitch about Davis, about her son, and about how like the club had how much he'd loved it and shaped it and stuff. And you know, obviously she was in tears. Everyone's crying, and against Notts County, went out, smashed them four 0 It was just like it was amazing. Like it was so emotional. And again, yeah. it was like that was quite a new to idea for me as a football fan that that sort of emotion beyond football would, would sort of creep in in any way. Mm. So I had to put him in. And really, he was the best, probably best player I ever saw play for Swindon anyway, based on just his talent, his ability. I'm, no doubt he would have gone on to be an absolute superstar. You know, he was an unbelievable player. Yeah, good old Jimmy Davis. And it was such, such a sad story. that if you, if you look up, Danny Weber did a piece, that he did like a column or something about it. And that is really hard to read as well. Um, his mate, you know, the whole... Mm. The whole story around it it's worth looking into and I think I'd really think he was a talent and he would have he would have gone on to great things so it was a pleasure to see him play for for my club yeah and it shows you I mean it's, just, it's an indication of what the impact he made at Swindon he was only there uh, he was only at the club for three months three uh, months yeah. well that's from my research no, I might be wrong. that yeah. sounds about right yeah, three months. Uh, he was only at Swindon for three months, as he said, on loan from Man United in 2002. Three goals in 15 appearances. So he didn't even really play that much, but obviously made a massive impact. And then, as you said, died in a car crash in August 2003. But yeah, the fact he was at the club for such a little amount of time and made obviously such a massive impact while he was there tells you, obviously clearly shows he was a, he was a big talent. Yeah, very much so. Quality player, absolutely quality. And yeah, we were getting a lot of those players at that time. Like we mm. got James Milner on loan. Obviously we had Carrick before that. We were often had these, like when we got Milner, that was a real coup and stuff. And it was, it was Andy King doing it. I put him in centre mid of a 3-4-3, which would not work. You know, he's very, he's more of a 10, you know, mm. but I just had to get him in there somewhere. Alongside Miglia Ranzi, absolute Rolls Royce for player, by the way. Great name as well. I was going to say, lovely name. Yeah, gorgeous name. Tell me he's Italian. He's not like from no, like, he's Bra- Barnsley. He's Brazilian. Uh, he was oh, Brazilian. He was born in Brazil, but he was actually American. Oh, and okay. I think he works for like Columbus Crew or something now and in like, I don't know what he does, but yeah, American bloke, but. Yeah, superb player. Another Andy King find. Yeah. Talking about great names as well. Of course, Danny Invincible. I mean, that yeah. might be the best well, name you know ever. He, the, the thing with Danny Invincible, not, not actually great, not a great player, I must say. But he was at the time when I was going, and obviously he's called Danny Invincible, and he was, he was flash and like, you know, a winger, actually born in the same hospital as me in Brisbane. I was born in Brisbane, believe it or not. Oh, wow. um, and me and Danny Invincible born in the same hospital. 
you know, scorer of great goals, not a great goal scorer, classic. Also, the reason I, so there was a bet, there was a bookies inside the stand, inside the South stand, the nationwide stand that you could gamble in. Yeah. And I remember when we played Wigan, Wigan had a run of like 12 wins in a row expected to turn us over. I placed the bet, one pound bet, 66 to one. Danny Invincible to score first win and win 2-1. First bet I ever won, it came in. So I always have a place in my heart for Danny Invincible, who's actually called Danny Invincibile. Because if you notice, there's an extra I in there. His name's not even Danny Invincible. Oh, yes, yeah. that is right, yeah. So that, that always, I thought, if, he's called, if yeah. people were Invincibile, it's not as fun. So Danny nah, Invincible. Danny Invincible's much better. Um, and yeah, just one other player I want to mention. Um, I referenced it a little bit earlier. Sam Parkin, um, yes. 67 goals in 124 appearances for Swindon between 2002 and 2005. And I just know from your Twitter feed that you absolutely love him, don't you? He is my number one football, my number one football hero of all time, without a shadow of a doubt. This guy, right, he turned up, He'd been at Northampton or something for like a year before and scored like twice. You know, people said he was shit. He was at Chelsea, but he'd been on loan at Northampton. People thought he was terrible. And Andy King, the manager, was like, no, this guy's got something. We paid 50 grand for him. Turned up that summer and it was like 2000 and whatever, you'll probably tell me, 2002 or three. And that was like the, the absolute middle of when I was most involved yeah. in watching Swindon, when it really meant a lot to me. And that summer... He was scoring in every preseason. It was like, wow, this is this is exciting. And, you know, as a football fan, there's nothing like getting a striker. Yeah, yeah. Proper centre forward, number nine, big bloke. Like everyone had said, he was he was crap. He'd been at Wickham and Northampton, hadn't really done much. I'm really playing as a winger more than anything. Andy King got him in centre forward. He scored a hat trick on his debut against Barnsley in a three-one win at home. And then that season, I believe, if he wasn't top scorer in the league, he was right up there. But you know, banging him in. Proper striker, all sorts of goals, both feet, headers. Everyone loved him. He had a great song. It was like, that is my, he's my number one dude. And, you know, the funny thing is another good story. It never happened. Never happened. He was rubbish. No, it never happens in the end. It was quite sad. But a, fr- a mutual friend of ours, actually, Wally Downs, uh, now boxing reporter at The Sun, he went to school with Sam Parkin's brother, Jack, I believe his name is. They're friends. Yeah. And me and Wally used to play on the same Sunday league team. And for one fleeting week or two, there was, out, there was a chance that Parkin was going to come and play for us. He was going oh, to wow. With me, me and him up front together. In the end, he got a deal with someone like fucking Maidenhead or something. Like he, he, he was just about retiring. He was up for playing, but yeah. it never happened. He got, he got a deal somewhere else and he, he was like, I can't play Sundays. I've got to actually ah. get paid on Saturday. Almost yeah. happened. But um, I mean, what, what a play. And I, everyone's got him. You know, he's not the best striker we've had. He's not the best striker I've seen at Swindon, really. Yeah. And speak to Ipswich fans, he's in their worst ever 11. You know, I think Ipswich paid like 400 grand for him from us. I remember at the time there was a big, like, battle to get him because he'd just yeah. been banging him in and he's a proper striker or whatever. You don't get many of him. And he was just awful for them. Um, and he gets in their worst 11s and all that stuff. Um, in fact, if you look at the rest of his career, it wasn't, he didn't set the world light anywhere apart from Swindon. Um mm. But, you know, as a fan, those sorts of players, the ones that really score important goals, they're, they're the ones you remember. He's my favourite player of all time. Super Sammy Parkin. What a legend. He's a journalist now as well. He's knocks about. You could probably see him around. Oh, really? Yeah, he works for, um, he works <laughs> for like Radio, Radio London oh, or something okay. like that. Excellent. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, the fact, you almost got to play alongside him as oh, well. Can you that imagine it? Can you imagine incredible. it? It was just, oh, it would have been fucking great. But yeah, 
Oh, well, never happened. Amazing, yeah. Now, just to go through those stats again. So, yeah, he played for Sweden for three years between 2002, 2005, and he got 67 goals in 124 games, which is basically one in two. So that is a, that is a fantastic strike, right? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. All right, Declan, got to let you go soon before I see you again on Saturday at the Tottenham Hotspur yeah. Stadium. Before I do, I'm really looking forward to that, by the way. I can't wait to see you in the flesh. Uh, before before yeah. I do, I'm going to ask you the final question, uh, which is the final question I ask uh, on every episode of this podcast. If you could go back in time and change one moment from your time supporting Swindon up to now, and it can be absolutely anything. It could be a, um, a result. It could be a transfer. It could be a goal. It could be um, a very personal moment. Absolutely anything. What would you change? So I don't want to give this one too much thought, much like I didn't want to give the, the 11 too much thought, because when you overthink it, it's the ones yeah. that come to your head straight away that you think that is the moment, that is the player. It was the bobble, right? Swindon played Millwall in the playoff final at Wembley, pissing down, 1-0 down, some Millwall bloke scored for them, I can't remember who it was. Charlie Austin, who made my best 11, yeah. maybe the best striker we've had, certainly since sort of Fjortoff, clean through on goal, one of the best finishers you'll ever see, can hit a corner every time, clean through in front of, the, in front of us, we're thinking, here we go, one all now, we're back in it. Little bubble, bubble on the Wembley surface and he spoons it oh, and it, is, it changed everything. Because at that, at that point, that team we had, we had people like Danny Ward on loan. Obviously, we had Austin. We had a proper team. We didn't go up that year, obviously. As soon as we didn't go up, the loanees go. We can't keep anyone permanently. Like, anyone good fucks off, gets sold. And then we sort of start again. If we got him back in that if we got one all in that game, who knows what would have happened. Maybe we would have lost still, but maybe we would have won. If we'd gone up that year, I maintain everything would have been different everything would have been the last 10 years or whenever that 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 game was that it would have been different and without that little bobble so if I could change anything I'd just go on the pitch before just put my heel in it be like there you go (laughs) nice and smooth see us through because Austin would have tucked that away probably would have Mm. gone on to get a hat trick that game we would have been flying through the streets of Wembley in the end it was the most miserable wet trip to London because I don't know about you but there are not many places to be that are worse as a losing fan than Wembley. Yeah. It takes fucking ages to get out Absolutely. of it. You like you have to get a chew. Oh, and it was pissing. It was, it was horrendous. So that bobble, get rid of the bobble, everything changes. Yeah, I can empathise with being a losing fan at Wembley. I've experienced oh a couple God. of times. It's absolutely horrendous, yeah. The worst. And I've got to say, that's probably the most specific answer yeah. I've ever been given. Uh, I'm, talking like a, I'm talking like a couple of inches of turf. Yeah. Uh, change in the history of Swindon. I mean, it's amazing. And it also feels very, very Swindon as well. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> in the rain. Exactly, yeah. Declan Taylor, thank you very, very much. Pleasure.